0: Hello and welcome back to 365 Days with MXM Tune. I'm Maya, a singer, songwriter, videomaker, Oakland native, and a stargazer. I'm also a huge fan of history. I love untold stories, gross facts, hidden secrets, and anything weird, dark, and funky from the past. Each day I'm going to share one of my favorite deep cuts with you, so let's take a look at today's stories. It's 365 with MXM Tune every day so don't leave too soon i'm gonna teach you stuff know it won't be tough gonna go a year till you've had enough it's 365 Today in 2005 astronomers announced their discovery of the dwarf planet Eris. Eris is about the same size as Pluto, but it's 3 times farther from the sun. You might remember this from our July 15th episode about Pluto, but there's a very specific criteria that determines what is and isn't a planet. A planet needs to be somewhat spherical in shape and orbit the sun. Eris and Pluto meet both of these criteria, but planets also need to have enough gravitational force to create their own quote-unquote neighborhoods around them. This is why our planet Earth isn't at risk of being hit by meteors or asteroids on a regular basis. The planet has enough gravitational force around it to protect it from most, but not all, of this space debris. Since bodies like Pluto and Eris don't meet all three requirements, they're just dwarf planets. That means that they orbit the sun and have enough mass for its gravity to render it spherical like a planet, but they haven't cleared the neighborhood around their orbits. But Eris actually played a huge role in getting Pluto reclassified as a dwarf planet rather than a planet, as it used to be known. In that sense, Eris is kind of like that kid in math class who reminds the teacher right before the bell rings that they forgot to collect the homework assignment. Pluto was doing so well masquerading as a planet, but Eris had to go and ruin it. When scientists encountered Eris for the first time, it brought into question all the similarities between this body and Pluto. Sure, Eris is farther away from the sun than Pluto, but it still manages to make a complete orbit. So if Eris and Pluto have pretty similar composition, Why should we call Eris a dwarf planet while Pluto stays a planet? In fact, scientists even considered naming Eris the 10th planet of the solar system, but a meeting of the International Astronomical Union, or the IAU, decided that if Eris is a dwarf planet, unfortunately so is Pluto. The IAU is an international, non-government organization that works to advance astronomy. Since 1919, they've met about every three years and now there's over 13,000 members from 90 different countries. So as more research came to light about Pluto and Eris, the IAU had to decide how to classify them. The concept of a dwarf planet didn't even exist until Eris came into the picture. Literally, it was discovered through a telescopic picture, but scientists needed to draw a distinction to better categorize these celestial objects. How was Eris even discovered? Well, a team of three scientists from Caltech, Yale, and the Gemini Observatory had been working together with a telescope at the Palomar Observatory near San Diego. They were studying the Kuiper Belt, which lies in the far-off fringes of the solar system. It's kind of like the asteroid belt that divides Mars and Jupiter, only bigger, colder, and further away. But Eris wasn't just some asteroid. Yeah, okay, it's a space rock, but it's a really, really big space rock, so big that it has enough gravitational pull to have its own moon. So, in my opinion, and in their opinion, that was no ordinary rock. Eris is so far away from the sun that when it gets too cold, its atmosphere collapses and freezes. Literally, the atmosphere turns into snowfall. And we thought we had an ozone layer problem here. But as Eris gets nearer to the sun in its orbit, the atmosphere reforms, but it takes 557 years for Eris to make one revolution around the sun. So it's not like this atmospheric collapse and reformation happens too rapidly. That might be a bit too weird, though of course there's no one on Eris to witness it. While there's potential for life to have once existed on planets like Mars, where scientists have detected water, it's simply too cold on the outskirts of the solar system for any known life to survive. At first, the three scientists named the dwarf planet Xena after Xena Warrior Princess, a cult classic fantasy TV series that aired in the 90s. They named the dwarf planets Moon, Gabrielle, after Xena's sidekick in the TV show. But when Xena was determined to be a dwarf planet for good, they had to propose a more serious name. They chose Eris, the Greek goddess of discord. No, not discord the app, discord as in conflict. This was sort of a tongue-in-cheek name referring to all of the discord that it created around what is or is not a planet. Now the moon is named Dysnomia, after Eris' daughter in Greek mythology. Sure, it would have been cool to have a planet named after a TV warrior princess, but I mean, the solar system clearly has a theme going on here. All of the planets are named after Greek or Roman gods, and it would be bold to disrupt that. Or would it? On the same day that this team of scientists announced the discovery of Eris, they also announced another dwarf planet, Makemake. They had discovered the dwarf planet around Easter, so at first they called it Easter Bunny, but that wasn't going to fly with the IAU. Instead, Makemake represents the god of fertility in the myths of Rapa Nui, an indigenous group from Easter Island. The scientists pushed for this since they wanted to preserve the planet's connection with Easter, but at the same time... It is cool that they incorporated the myths from the Rapa Nui, whose culture is less widely appreciated than that of the ancient Greeks and Romans. Now, let's talk about music. On this day, in 2018, Philadelphia singer and songwriter Pink Sweats released his debut single, Honesty. The single preceded the release of his first EP, titled Volume 1. And I love his story, because this guy actually didn't listen to anything other than Christian music until he was 17 years old. And then, only two years later, at the age of 19, he began his own music career recording voice demos and producing for other artists in multiple genres. Talk about talented. And when he released Honesty in 2018, it quickly shot up to number 10 on Spotify's U.S. viral chart and eventually made it to their playlist, R&B. And once you hear his voice, you'll get why his music caught on so quickly. His gorgeous, crooning vocals and smooth beats are intoxicating. Pink Sweats is an artist to watch. He released his debut full-length album in February 2021 and performed on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon in March. But one of my favorite facts about this all-around talented guy... He really got his name because he always wears pink sweatpants. And now for today's final segment, I'll be going back into my own photo archives to see what I was up to on a July 29th in my life. On July 29th, 2014, I went intertubing on Lake Champlain in upstate New York. And fun fact, I actually just did that again. Um... I feel like every single year I've talked about going on upstate, uh, a few times on the podcast already because I don't have any other memories except for being in an upstate New York area at some point in the summer, most years, because my family would live there. Um, and we went intertubing and I just did it the other day in this photo. I am 13, wait, I'm 14 years old. And I did it just like last weekend as a 21 year old, I Didn't even fall off well. So, if you don't know what it is, basically you put an inner tube on the back of a speedboat, and then whoever's driving the speedboat like tugs you along, and you're like holding on for dear life so that way you don't fall off. I did not fall off the entire time. And me and my 23 year old cousin were, I don't even remember how old my cousin is at this point, but we're at the, you know, at this point, we're fully grown adults going on the inner tube, and nobody else wanted to do it except for us, but we held on for dear life. Neither one of us fell off. I did, however, fall into the water when I was going back onto the boat. Somehow, the actual dragging action of being on the inner tube didn't end me, but getting back on the boat was harder than trying to stay on and holding on to this inner tube. Anyways, that's my fun fact. Thanks for going back in time with me, and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can come back tomorrow for more stories from the past. It's 365 with MXM2 New facts every day, so don't leave too soon I'm gonna teach you stuff, no it won't be tough Gonna go a year till you've had enough It's 365 with MXM2